Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the I Am a Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined as always by my colleague from the Columbia Bureau, Dave Matter, and here to break down the latest in Mizzou sports as always. Happy New Year to everybody, and hope you guys had a, a good, healthy, and safe holiday season. We were off last week. We're back this week. We'll be back every week moving forward here as Missouri moves deeper into basketball season. Some ups and downs, um, late, lately more down than, uh, than up for the Missouri men's basketball team. We'll get into that this episode. Also talk a little bit about Eli Drinkwitz's coaching staff, maybe some changes that could be coming there, and also uh, some good news on the recruiting front for Drinkwitz as he prepares to enter year two at Mizzou. A lot to discuss, as always, Dave. First of all, Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year, Ben. This has uh, been uh, quite an eventful few weeks here, and I like getting into January. Get back in routine. Let's let's cover some basketball, um, although last night, <laughs> Tuesday night, was not a fun one for the Tigers. It was for a half, not the second half. How about that? The the loss at, at Mississippi State, um, actually the ninth time in 10 games, Missouri has lost a basketball game to the Bulldogs, which is crazy to, to think about. Um, and really, you know, the old cliche, the tale of two halves, um, it's probably never been more true. Missouri leads by 12 at intermission, probably played its cleanest half of basketball. One of the cleanest halves of basketball we've seen the Tigers play this season in Sarkville on the road. Um, they're going to go up by 14 early in the second. And then all of a sudden the bottom drops out. DJ Stewart, Iverson Molinar, who's got one of the coolest names that you're going to come across in basketball. <laughs> They combined for 44 points. Stewart scored 20 of those in the second half. Uh, they could not miss. The Tigers could not score. Um, it was uh, it was a rough one, and Mississippi State ends up winning it by 15 points in a game that Missouri would have thought, hey, you know, I think if you go by the win projections, they were had like a 93% chance of winning oh, yeah. when they uh, when they went up by 14 in the second half. A lot of things happened, but but what? Let's start with what you think the biggest reason the the lights went out on the Tigers. Yeah, it was, uh, and Conzo didn't have any answers. I mean, he got on that Zoom afterwards and said, first thing I did was turn to my staff and say, what happened? I mean, that's, it's one of those where you can kind of use the alibi of, hey, I need to look at the, look at the video before I give any answers, which he, which he said. But I think it was just a classic case of a team got comfortable and let its guard down. And I think that had to be a fear for this team this year. This And this is not an excuse at all. And you're going to hear Conzo say this, and I, he's not making an excuse, I don't think. But this group has, ne- has never been in this position where they are ranked and they go on the road and now they're expected to win. And not only that, then they play really well and they get out in front and it just looked like they relaxed. And why wouldn't they? Because in that first half, I wasn't there. Full disclosure, I was watching on TV like everybody else, but Mississippi State looked like they had zero interest in playing that game. They looked, right. I even wrote, they looked, they looked hungover from the Saturday yeah. game, double overtime loss to Kentucky. Uh, Abdul Otto, who I think has been at Mississippi State for about 15 years, Jeremiah Tillman was just burying him in the paint, and there was no resistance. The guards weren't doing anything, they were just kind of jacking up some shots. And Missouri probably should have been up by about 20. I mean, they played a great first half, but it seemed like everything was just coming easy. Missouri on offense looked like a classic game. Like when an offensive coordinator in football scripts the first 15 plays and he hits on all of them, that's what that first half looked like. 
And then even in the second half, they had a great play to, to begin the half. Um, and I think scored on their second possession too. But then it everything just flipped on both ends of the floor. And Inconzo, I thought, made an interesting point after the game. He said, for the last three years, we've been trying to be that team that goes into games and and wants to be ranked and wants to have that number in front of us. So we have to do everything we can to beat a team like we are now. And instead, the script was kind of flipped and Mississippi State was that team. And, and Ben Holland's team, everything went down and uh, it just worked out for them. Yeah, it kind of looked like um, whatever Holland did at halftime fired his team up and the yeah. exact opposite was going on in the, in the other locker room. And, and Holland said, look, after the game, I wish I could take credit, but the guys came out ready to play in the second yeah. after being asleep in the first. And it looked like the opposite for, for Mizzou. A lot of talk will be about the offense as it usually is when the Tigers can't score um, because when they can't score, it can be as ugly as any team you're going to find. I think the focus probably for Zoe and, and understandably is going to be on the defense because they, they just stopped playing defense. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were trying to contest those shots from the Bulldogs, but a flurry of mid-range jumpers, tough twos um, in terms of hard to make, but also not great, you know, in terms of the analytics side. Well, when you're making all of them as, as Missouri, as, as Mississippi state's two guards, DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar were doing Missouri had no answers. Um, they didn't really try to, change things defensively they didn't really try to 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 shake something up they just kind of tried to hold on and, and they couldn't I was frustrated watching because when Jeremiah Tillman is playing like he he did and like really like he did the past two games he was excellent at Arkansas yeah um, best game of his career probably and when he's play, he's not always going to be that guy I mean we think we've learned that now but when he's when he's on this team has to do more to get him the ball yeah. And they got away from that in the second half. Um, part of it was the fouls. Um, he picked up a really bad third foul call on a moving screen that wasn't. He got pushed. But his fourth foul, the one that took him out of the game, and I think really kind of probably changed the fate of this game, was one that he picked up defensively out past the three-point arc. You can't do that. You can't pick up your fourth foul out there. Um, and, and, you know, that changed the outlook of the game. But also, too, there is a panic level for this team offensively, I, I think. Yeah. And when they go three and a half minutes without scoring, it's almost like you can see them physically get tense. And that's when you get the Xavier Pinson rush three-pointer and the Mitchell Smith three-pointer. And, and you start to get some of those junk looks as opposed to what we saw in the first half where extra passes and get the ball inside or kick it out. And you can just tell a real shift. They've got to find a way to either find someone to break those droughts or to regroup in the midst of them because they can't just abandon their identity when those droughts come. So they're, they're two and two in their last four. They, everybody got, you know, upset about the Tennessee loss, but they got drilled by 20. Um, you know, then they go and play a really good road game against Arkansas. They play a terrible second half after a really great first at Mississippi state. They got LSU and Vanderbilt at home up next. I don't have any clue what team's going to show up <laughs> to play against LSU, Dave. Yeah, I mean, from what from one half to the next, too. So, I mean, it, it, anybody that jumped ship after the Tennessee game probably jumped back on after Arkansas, and then they jumped back <laughs> off last night. So, like, hey, at some point, you know, you got to learn the lesson here. Like, this is this team. I mean, this is this is who they are. When they're bad, they're bad. And, yeah. and they were bad the whole Tennessee game. 
and then the whole second half of Mississippi State. So this can happen. And when they're when they're on, when their identity is is clicking and they're playing to their strengths, they can do what they did in the first half, and they can do what they did in Fayetteville. I thought too, and this was Conzo um, was he saw this coming to some degree because on Monday on his radio show, he was talking about how historically. Mississippi State always has two bigs. They always have two like 6'10 guys, and it's it changes from year to year. And Missouri has not responded well to to multiple guys with size in the past. So he thought that was going to be a challenge for this game. You didn't really notice that in the first half. And the second half, though, on the rare occasion Mississippi State did miss a shot, they were always there to get the offensive rebound. And those two bigs, um, Tillman can't do it alone. And he he said that after the game, I thought that was a real challenge to Kobe Brown and to Mitchell Smith that, Hey, I mean, Jeremiah, whoever thought we'd get to the point where he was the most reliable guy on the court. That's kind of what this team has become, but he can't do it all alone. They need more of a supporting cast. Uh, they got seven points from Javon Pickett in a three minute span in the first half, a great burst there off the bench. Other than that, they only got four points off the bench and, when Drew Smith and Mark Smith aren't on, you you need somebody else. And whether that's Kobe Brown or Pickett or Drew Bugs or somebody coming in and doing something else, you need that spark. And they just don't have it. Mitchell Smith does a lot for this team on the defensive end. Um, he showed when Tillman had the foul trouble at the end of the first half, he came in, he had that great alley-oop. He can do some things for you. But the way this offense is set up, those corner threes – those are designed for him to make, whether it's him or Kobe Brown at that four position. He's open for a reason because defenses don't respect him, but he also is catching it there for a reason because that's how the plays are run and he's not making them. And either you change the offense or you find somebody else to play in that spot um, because it's not working with him right now. Yeah, if he, if he can't make consistently that, that open corner three that he missed in the second half of that game, that would have kind of quieted that Mississippi state run. And, yeah. and I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, you can't be more open than he was um, at some point that his, his struggles from behind the arc this season can't, can't be ignored. Um, he's either going to have to break through them or they're going to have to change gears there. But I still think they need more from Mark Smith. Um, yeah. He's I like that he's shooting threes and, you know, he didn't shoot one against Tennessee that can't happen. It was, you pointed it out and it was a great stat from you that it was the first time in a Mizzou uniform that he had not attempted a three pointer. Yeah. Um, well, he's, he's, he's attempting them now. They're not all falling, but he's got to shoot through this. I, I, I'm hesitant to say Missouri can't be as bad of a three point shooting team as we've seen because they were pretty bad last year. Yeah. But if, if they're not going to figure that out, they're not going to go where they want to go. They almost have to kind of shoot through this. But part of that is getting, making sure they got the right guys taking them. And I think they need to think about – I know Conzo is going to defend Mitchell Smith and he's going to support his guy, but I think they need to think about if they need fewer threes from a guy who's not shooting them very well. I'm okay with Mark Smith missing some when they're good looks, but he's going to make them a lot more than, than Mitchell Smith is. So they got some things to, to sort out, one being their defense because it eroded on him in, in, the, in the second half in, in Starkville. And that, if this team doesn't defend, it's not going to have the firepower to yeah. go out and score with, with many of these teams. Um, so that's we'll kind of put a bow on basketball as the Tigers kind of try to refine their uh, momentum here. They're still 13th in the country. That's probably going to drop, um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how they bounce back against against LSU and also Vanderbilt at home this week before they hit the road again, um, shifting back to Mizzou Arena. 
let's talk some some football here, Dave. Uh, we'll start with the maybe the maybe the bad and, and and end with the good. We don't know if this is bad yet, or maybe it would depend on what Drinkwitz did after it. But it's interesting. Um, and we're full, full, full disclosure: we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. As of now, there's been no concrete development on which way this is going to go. But we do know that there is at least some sort of interest between Ryan Walters and Illinois, um, new Illinois coach Brett Bielema, for the role of defensive coordinator, which would pull Ryan Walters away from Mizzou less than a year after he got a raise to remain um, at Mizzou after kind of flirting with Colorado about its head coaching job. Dave, when I see this report on Football Scoop, I go, huh, that's interesting for a few reasons. One, Walters just got a bump to stay at Mizzou. He was considering leaving before. That was for a head coaching job at his alma mater. I'm not sure. Well, no, I don't need to say it that way. That would be a step. That would be a step up for a guy who wants to be a head coach going to Colorado. This joining an Illinois team that is really struggling um, so much to the point that they've hired a new coach in Brett Bielema, bottom of the Big Ten. That would be a step back for Walters unless he's going to make a lot more money what what do you make of this and 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 what do you uh how much truth do you think there is to this is it a sign that maybe walters could be on the outs with with drink what's what's going on here yeah it's really interesting it's one of those things where <laughs> there's so much we don't really know um now i'll i reached out to ryan after this report came out and i i have a good rapport with him and i didn't hear back so that kind of tells me that if it if it weren't true i probably would have heard back because that's coaches usually don't want that out there if it's not true so I'm just going to assume that there's something to it. Um, and the question is why? Well, if it's just about money, well, I don't think, I don't think Missouri's in position to give him another raise after an average season for this defense. Um, you know, $900,000, he's the highest paid assistant on the staff. I think that's the second highest salary for a Missouri assistant ever. Derek Dooley was making a little bit more when he got uh when that staff got fired swinging a miss swinging a miss yeah just a bit um I, I think ryan brings a lot to the staff i think he's a good recruiter he was really involved with a lot of the players that they signed in texas and florida and you know the defensive backs that they have gotten commitments from you know over the over the years he's still only 34 he turns 35 later this month so he's still really young um missouri fans kind of got it in their heads that he's this hot coaching candidate when he interviewed at Colorado but you had to understand that was a unique situation at Colorado Mel Tucker left there like after signing day or right around signing day and and Ryan's an alum of Colorado his dad played there he's a legacy there so that was why it's not like he was just you know randomly picked to interview there without any connection it was because he's he's from there and played there and it was a really popular player there really good player um so this one's it's kind of hard to read it I do think it can be awkward when a new coach comes in like Drinkwitz did, keeps some of the staff and especially the guy who runs the side of the ball that the head coach is not as involved with. And then they have kind of an average year, not a great year on that side of the ball. It almost then seems like a little bit of a shotgun marriage and maybe it can go awkward and maybe it's better to move on before you have to move on. And maybe that's going on. And I hate speculating about this stuff without really knowing, but I also got the vibe just from um, some snooping around that Missouri isn't really concerned about this situation. Now you can interpret that one of two ways, either it's not going to happen, or if it does, 
Missouri will move on pretty quickly. And I think, I think Eli will, you know, he's only been a head coach for two seasons, but let's not forget he's coached at like six places in 10 years. He has connections. He knows a lot of people. Right. And, um, you know, he's got some veteran coaches on this staff who know people. David Gibbs has coached everywhere and he's been a defensive coordinator. Right. Um, Rick Haley has coached everywhere. He's been around for a long time. And also, too, and I'm just throwing this completely out there. Missouri has five defensive assistants. They have three guys that coach in the secondary. If you'd want to bump up one of those guys to coordinator, say a David Gibbs, you don't have to necessarily hire another defensive coach. You can hire an offensive coach. You know, they don't have technically don't have a quarterback's coach. That's Drinkwitz. They don't have an offensive coordinator. That's Drinkwitz. So you can play around a little bit with the staff. Um, or you can go out and get one of these big names out there that's that's on the market, you know, a Derek Mason or a Will Muschamp. I don't think they're going to call Barry Odom, but, um, you know, somebody that's out there that's looking for a job or you can go poach somebody. So a lot of possibilities. I don't, I, I really, I don't get the sense that Missouri's too worried about this. Uh, so we'll see. And, and also here's another misconception. A report comes out like this and something I heard from a lot of fans and readers was, well, even if he doesn't get the job, he's got to leave now because you can't come back from this. No, that's not true. These guys interview all the time. You know, you and I, in our jobs, we, we get, we get approached for other jobs and we still, if we don't take them, we, we come back and it's fine. That's how it works. So it's not the end of the Ryan Walters era. If he isn't named the defensive coordinator at Illinois necessarily. Yeah. I mean, and it could be that he comes out eventually and says, Hey, here's what's really going on there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I agree with you that if he's angling for a raise, it's kind of check, read the room, Ryan. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there was a time when he probably could have, but I thought, I thought the most um, positive sign for this, it's always a, it's always an unknown, right? When you've got a, a new coach who comes in and keeps members of a previous staff, you just don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. But I thought the most positive sign for this kind of, I, I would call it an arranged marriage of sorts between Brian Walters and Eli Drinkwitz was the LSU game where the defense didn't play well, but Drinkwitz trusted the defense to make a huge stop to win the game. And and Ryan Walters defense delivered that goal line stand that was at the time a massive series. Now LSU wasn't very good. We maybe view it differently in hindsight, but the defense got the defense kind of fell apart as the season went along. It played great against Kentucky. Um, And then after that, it was kind of the wheels were off. Now, how much of that was COVID guys not being available? How much of it was opt-outs who left the program, which maybe had nothing to do with, with Walters? How much of it was injuries? I mean, that's going to be a hard thing to, to dissect. Um, clearly, though, the defense defense kind of lost its footing as the season went along, especially especially late in the year. And, and there were some comments made from Drinkwitz that kind of made it sound like, yeah, you know, we got to figure out what's going on here defensively yeah. that we're not as – they weren't shots at all at Walters, but it did make you wonder if he was kind of looking at ways to maybe make some changes there. And I, I wondered if this was a, a byproduct of that. We'll see. But I, but I agree with you that Missouri doesn't need to be tripping all over itself to, to keep Walters if he's looking for a lot more money, especially during this time. And I was a guy who was singing his praises louder than anyone, you know, after that Kentucky game. I thought it was pretty remarkable what they had done, but they lost their footing. Um, they didn't have the depth to make up for some of the departures and injuries and all those things. And it's, it was a bit of a reality check after that point. I just figured Walters, if he left, would leave for a head coaching job, Dave. I didn't think he would leave to be a 
a, a DC at a, at a school that's had a lot tougher time at being competitive than, than Mizzou. But if it's going to make him a lot more money, then, uh, then I guess he's got to do what's best for him and drink what's the same. Yeah. And it, you know, he just, maybe a fresh start is something that he wants and maybe he's just doing it as a favor to veal him up. We don't know. That's why I hate really speculating about these things when we don't have the full truth, but Sure. I think bottom line, every indication I've got, Missouri's not too worried about this. And again, that could mean either it's not going to happen, or if it does, they move on pretty quickly. And uh, that's that's what these coaches do. That's what the head coaches. That's why they're paid four million dollars a year is to solve these kind of problems. They will wait and see what happens with the Ryan Walters situation. But as long as things go according to plan, there is some some positive news that we uh, can confirm and, and discuss on the recruiting front. Eli Drinkwitz working his way on that top 25 recruiting class, um, you know, with it should be a top 20 to 25 class when all is said and done after the second signing period ends. He won't get credit for this player as he's not officially part of that class, but a pretty good pickup for Drinkwitz in Mookie Cooper, the transfer from Ohio State, who was one of the top players in the state of Missouri in the 2020 class, didn't play at Ohio State this year. He looking for a new start somewhere. The sets. I'm going to go to Mizzou, um, the Trinity High receiver, star receiver, who picked Ohio State over a ton of schools, will join Mizzou this fall and should, if the NCAA follows up with its eligibility shift due to the pandemic and the way things are changing in college sports, should be eligible this year with four years left. This is a, one of those players that got away and Mizzou fans were kicking themselves for not getting, well, now they got him and he's coming with four years of eligibility. Yeah, definitely a positive development for Drinkwitz. I mean, Cooper was a guy who, I mean, he didn't even sniff Missouri in the recruiting process. I, I don't think he visited. Uh, he, he committed to Texas pretty early and then changed to Ohio State. And uh, that was during the, you know, coaching search then or coaching changeover because he signed January or he enrolled January 2020, uh, right when Drinkwitz was settling in at Missouri. No shame in not cracking the depth chart at Ohio State right now at wide receiver because they've got a ton of guys there and a lot of talent. But just the kind of playmaker that this team needs, I think. And he's probably a slot receiver, multi-positional, you know, versatile guy, similar to a Dominic Lovett, probably. They're both – they're 5'10", so they're more slot receiver types. But Cooper's a guy that ran the ball a lot at Trinity. Um, you could do a lot of different things with somebody like that. All of a sudden, now you're looking at this Missouri roster, and you you got to love it. you got Cooper, if he is indeed eligible this year. You know, Jalen Knox was banged up late in the year, but he's a guy that they liked in that slot uh, role that can do different things. Tyler Beatty is this similar kind of player, more of a running back than a receiver, but also a really dangerous receiver. So slowly but surely, you know, adding some weapons to this offense – and uh, I, I think it's fair to sort of reevaluate how we think about this team in 2021. I, I, you know, they're not, are they catching up with Florida and Georgia? They're not there yet, but I still think they're in the top of that middle class. They're definitely ahead of South Carolina and had a head coaching change. I'd still say definitely ahead of Tennessee, even though they lost the head to head, they had a much better season. And then, you know, Kentucky is scrambling to fix its offense and, and Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. So, yeah, I, I think uh, this has been a really good offseason in terms of who they've gotten and, and who they've kept. Some of that is is recruiting guys who could leave, who have the opportunity to come back. Um, you know, we're talking about the recruiting class, the transfers who are incoming. But how about the guys Drinkwitz has convinced to 
use that extra year of eligibility due to the pandemic and come back. He's been recruiting um, his center, Michael Mayetti, for, for a while now. He gets the word that he's back in the fold. Um, you know, you've got Kiki Chisholm saying, yeah, I'll, I'll come back and, and run it back again. Some of the, the holes that we thought might be on this roster, um, you know, entering next season are being filled by players who are returning with experience of having played in Drinkwitz's system um, in, in 2020. Is that changing your kind of early outlook for the Tigers and Drinkwitz's second season? There's some guys on the defensive side as well who decided, yeah, I'll, I'll probably come back and, and, and use that extra year. I uh, should for sure. I mean, these guys, let, let's, let's be honest. If they got really high draft grades, they probably would have gone, sure. um, but As they that, should. Doesn't mean, that doesn't mean they still can't be good players for Missouri. My Eddie has played a ton of college football. I've got to think, I can't imagine there will be a center in the country who has played more snaps than he has when next season kicks off. I mean, he, he, he was a starter for, you know, two and two plus seasons at Rutgers and last year at Missouri he played more snaps than anybody on the entire team. Uh, and, and he's going to come back and he graded out pretty well. And I, I think he'll be the very well could be the preseason all SEC center. It'll help uh, with the loss of Larry Borum at right tackle, who's going to enter the NFL. When you bring back to my Eddie, it kind of neutralizes that a little bit. Then on that defensive line, you mentioned Akil Byers has said he will come back. Uh, Markel Utzi uh, said he will come back. Kobe Whiteside, I don't think he's been really definitive, but he's kind of suggested that he will. Uh, he comes back. Chris Turner hasn't, made anything official yet, but kind of indicated he might come back. So, and, and the, the best news is, and this might confuse some fans, those seniors who are coming back for another senior year, they will not count against the scholarship limit. So Missouri can go over that 85 man limit next year. That's what the NCAA is allowing. So it's not like, okay, if you're gonna bring them back, you have to sacrifice somewhere else. No, that's not the case. Um, you're just gonna have more depth at places where, heck this year, you know, Proved, and hopefully there's not a pandemic next season, but uh, you need that depth up front. Missouri lost, I think I counted 18 games from defensive linemen this year that would have been in that rotation because of injuries or COVID or contact tracing. So um, the more the merrier up front and they're going to, they've added a bunch of defensive linemen. They signed a couple of Juco guys. Um, but I, I would think those seniors, those fifth and sixth year seniors will, will have the edge. And uh, that's, that's great for this team. Someone asked us the other day on, on Twitter, when's the last time Missouri had two four-star or higher prospects at receiver on the field together? And, and again, recruiting stars aren't, aren't everything, and Missouri's had a lot of good receivers who were not four-stars or higher. But it was a good question, and, and you knew it off the top of your head. I, of course, had to look it up. But um, Doriel Green-Beckham, and you know, got to go all the way back to Doriel Green-Beckham and Marcus Lucas yeah. um, for, for the last time that happened. Um, which, I mean, Drinkwitz should have that in year two. If Mookie Cooper can be eligible and, and, and able to play, um, you, you throw him with Lovett, who I think would find the field in some way, shape, or form. It's always tough to figure out what to expect out of guys who have never played in the college game before, but clearly the talent at the receiver position needed to be upgraded, and Missouri's got a good mix now of newcomers, but also guys who have some experience there, which which should be a good mix for whether it's Connor Bazelak or Tyler Macon at quarterback. We'll see what happens there. But the offense, it looks like it, uh, it maybe has a little more firepower than we initially thought it might, although they do have to come up with an answer for losing Larry Roundtree, who is understandably and, 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 and smartly going to the, the NFL. So we'll keep it monitored there. I mean, I don't think Drinkwitz is done, Dave. I'm sure he's going to be continuing to chase transfers and, and looking for ways to improve his team. It sure seems like the recruiting momentum continues to 
roll forward. We'll see if Mizzou basketball can get its forward momentum back up and rolling. We'll have coverage of this week's games at stltoday.com. We'll break down more hoops and football and whatever else pops up in Como on next week's edition of the I'm the Tigers podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will see you in a week. Bye.